Psalm 18, you will recognize in 2 Samuel 22 the exact same psalm. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 1, it says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And if you look at the superscription, the little title at the beginning of Psalm 18, it is exactly those words. And then, of course, in 2 Samuel 22, you have beginning in verse 2, running all the way through verse 51, what appears also in 50 verses in Psalm 18. And so take your pick. Read Psalm 18 or read 2 Samuel 22, and you will have David's song before the Lord. And why do I point this out? Because look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel 23, which says this, Now these are the last words of David. Now, of course, the last words continue on in chapter 23. And there are some things in the last couple of chapters of 2 Samuel that are about David, some things good and some things not so good. And when you get past a couple of those chapters and 2 Samuel comes to an end, and in the first couple of chapters of 1 Kings, David dies. And so you could reconstruct the scene and say something like this, that this psalm of David contained here in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel and in Psalm 18 is in essence David's last psalm. Now you ask me the question, why is it tucked then in Psalm 18 in the arrangement? And my answer is, I have no idea. But that's the way it is. And you could say then, as you begin to ponder that these are some of David's last words, that David is almost giving a final testimony both about himself and about his God. And so, of course, we can't in 30 minutes go over 50 verses of Psalm 18, even though I would love to try. What we can do is we can accentuate in this psalm, Psalm 18, and you can turn over there now if you wish, Psalm 18, a kind of what I would call a catechism. A catechism. Of course, you know, if you were raised in the church and raised in a certain kind of church, that catechisms were what young people were taught. Some of them a little bit more technical than others, some uh, quite simple and uh, quite adaptable to young people. And as I read Psalm 18, I looked at it as both some of David's last words to the Lord, like a last psalm, but I also looked at it as though David could have taken Psalm 18 and catechized young children, taught them. And so as I meditated on Psalm 18, what I decided to do was to create out of those 50 verses five questions. Five questions that we could catechize 
with one another. We could ask very simple questions like we are children of our Heavenly Father, and we would then see how David himself would answer those questions. So let's do that, shall we? Question number one. This is catechetical instruction, catechism question number one. Why should I call upon the Lord? It's a simple question, right? Why should I call upon the Lord? And there are ten reasons, David says, why you should do that. Ten things. Now, here's what I suggest. If you've got a pencil with you, you've got a pen, you might even just write in your Bible. Write in the margin. If you don't have or don't want to write in your Bible, then I would consider maybe writing in a scratch pad or a notebook if you have. Have one. And these are ten things, ten ways that David describes why we should call upon the Lord. And here they are. Number one, look at verse one. Because the Lord is my strength, David says. That is someone upon whom I can totally rely. He's my strength. Secondly, he's my rock. In fact, he mentions the word rock twice in these first verses. He's my rock, a rock upon which I stand. Thirdly, he says, my fortress, my fortress. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. And then he says, fourthly, he's my deliverer upon which I can be saved, I can be delivered. And then he says, fifthly, because he is also my God, my God. There is no other God but Yahweh God, and he is my God. Why should I call upon the Lord? Because he's my God in whom I take refuge. And then number six, he's my shield, my shield. And of course, as a warrior, David would want to know that his God was his shield. And then seventh, he's the horn of my salvation. And eighth, my stronghold, he says in the latter part of verse two. And then in verses three, four, five, in the first part of verse six, he says the Lord, number nine, is praiseworthy. And number 10, he saves me from my enemies and for whom I cried out for help. So he's my strength. He's my rock. He says that twice. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God. He's my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. He is praiseworthy and he saves me. You know, that's, that's what a, a young person needs to hear. And it's what a person like David is saying when he's looking at the end of his life back over the entirety of his life. And he's giving us a portrait of who his God is. And therefore, why wouldn't we want to call upon that kind of Lord? Why wouldn't we, David says. There are ten things about him for which I want to extol him. I want to cry out to him. In fact, when he says right there in the first part of verse 1, I love you, O Lord. That particular verb for love mentioned nowhere else in the Hebrew Bible. It's a very unique word for love. And David says, that's how much I love you. Now that's the kind of God we can pray to, right? How about the second catechism question? How did he respond 
when I did call upon the Lord? How did he, that is Yahweh, how did he respond when I did call upon the Lord? Look at the latter part of verse 6. In my distress, that's the first part, I called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help. And what did the Lord do? How did he respond when I called upon him? Notice this, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. You know what kind of God responds when we call upon him? The one who chooses to listen to our prayers. God listens to my prayers. No wonder David says, I love you, O Lord. I love you because you hear me. Because when I reach out to you, you're there. You know, the gods of the ancient Near East, they were arbitrary and capricious. Of course, they weren't really gods at all. But the gods of the nations, they, they called upon them, and sometimes those gods would answer, and sometimes they wouldn't. Or so those people assumed. And they were, as I said, arbitrary and capricious, and uh, you would have to do all kinds of incantations and magical tricks, and you would have to do libations, and uh, you would have to be involved in all kinds of weird and sinful practices just to get what you thought was your God's answer back to you. That's not Yahweh God. He loves us, and He listens to our prayers. What else does this God do? Well, notice His power. This is, this is an amazing thing. David goes all the way from verse 7 all the way through verse 15, and he talks about this powerful God. God will stop at nothing to help me. I cried out to him from, from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry reached his ears. And according to verse 7 all the way through verse 15, this is the kind of God we have, my friends. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked. Why? Because he was angry. He was angry at the enemies of David. He wanted to be dispatched right to the fray so he could take up for his king and his people. Notice verse 8. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Now that's the kind of God I want to come to my aid, right? God is powerful. He not only loves me, but He's so powerful that when I cry out to Him, Lord... Please come to my aid. 
Let your ears be reached by my cry. And heaven thunders at his response. It's as though he dispatches himself immediately and he, and he quakes the earth and the foundations of the world tremble and his voice is thunderous because he is coming and his voice speaks to us. I'm on my way! This is, this is a God we love. This is a God we see as greatly powerful. Have any needs lately? Have any requests on your mind? Pray, pray to this kind of God. Come to Him. Reach out to Him. Cry to Him. And not just that. Not just a God who loves. Not just a God who's powerful. But also, in verses 16 to 18, a God who knows what He's doing. He sent from on high, verse 16, He took me. I mean, He didn't just... Uh, thunder from the heavens, he actually did something. He, he sent from on high. He took me, David says. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. I was outmatched. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. The Lord loves us. And the Lord is powerful. The greatest and most powerful being in the universe. Satan can't touch him. Demons are no match for him. And when God says, I'm coming, and I'm going to help you, he does something about it. That's what he does when we call out to Him, that's how He responds. And then thirdly, what is my responsibility before the Lord? I mean, if this is the kind of God I serve, He also has some expectations on me too, right? He wants me to respond in a certain way to who this God is. This is like a catechism, and you're talking to your children, and you ask this question, well, what should you do, young children? If God is like this, what are you supposed to do in His presence? And here's the catechetical answer. Here are some character attributes. Look at verse 19. David says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. In other words, David was doing something that delighted the Lord. He was pleasing God. That's the way you could write it in your margin. Pleasing God. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I'm supposed to be responsible before the Lord, to please Him. Look at verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. In other words, I'm rewarded because I desire to be righteous before the Lord. Not only to please God, but secondly, by my righteous behavior. And then thirdly, obedience. Obedience. Look at verses 21 and 22. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all His rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was obedient to the Lord's ways. And then he says, integrity and a clear conscience, verse 23. I was blameless before him, 
and I kept myself from guilt. That means he had integrity, he had a clear conscience. So, pleasing God, righteous behavior, obedient living, integrity, and a clear conscience. And here's another one, purity. Purity. Verse 24. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight. I've sought to be pure in my relationships before the Lord. Here's yet another, mercy. Mercy, verse 25. I show mercy to others, which is why the Lord shows mercy to me. Verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. If you're not merciful, then he has no obligation to show himself as merciful to you. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. Honesty is another attribute. Something you and I ought to teach our kids. Honesty. Honesty. Look at verse 26, right at the end. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Well, you would be. God's going to punish you if you're crooked in your ways. But if you're honest, you'll receive peace and blessing from the Lord. And then humility. Humility. Verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. So what's my responsibility for the Lord, before the Lord? Pleasing Him, righteous behavior, obedient living, integrity and a clear conscience, purity, mercy, honesty, and humility. That's, that's what you ought to be in the face of this great God. Number four. Number four. Who is this Lord upon whom I call? Oh, this is, this is phenomenal. David's looking at the end of his life. He's about ready to go to the grave. And he wants to tell everybody 12 things about the character of God. Look at verse 28. God is light. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. And he just starts, he just starts describing the character of God. And he says, God is light. Secondly, God gives strength. Verse 29. For by you, that means by your strength, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. God gives me strength in my life. Pray to God for strength. See Him as your light. Thirdly, God's Word is true. Verse 30. This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. God's Word is true. It's perfect. Verse 31. There's no God like Yahweh. He says, for who is God but the Lord, but Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. For who is God? There is no God. All of you pagans and all the nations around Israel, you've got gods and they're all gods with little g's. But you don't have the Lord. You don't have Yahweh. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is Yahweh. Number five, God provides. Verse 32, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He provides. 
He provides. God protects. Verse 33, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. God conquers. Verse 34, He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. God's the one who's fighting for us. Verse 35, God is gentle. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, for your gentleness made me great. Verse 36, God providentially orders my steps. He's a God of providence. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. Verse 37, 38, and 39, God sustains His people. David looks back on his life and he says, I pursued my enemies, verse 37, and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. God providentially orders all my steps and he sustains his people in the battle. And then verse 40, God is righteous. God is righteous. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. God righteously vindicates His people. And then verses 41 to 45, God punishes evil. They cried for help, these enemies of Israel, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. God, you did it all. You punished evil evil for us. I mean, all these phenomenal attributes of God. He's reflecting on his life and he's seeing how good God is and he does nothing but just continue over and over and over again in this psalm to talk about the great character of God. And you see what I've done. I've just read this psalm over and over to see the character of God. And then you just make notations, whether you make them in your Bible or you teach your kids or you're now at the end of your own life and you see who God is and you see what God has done and you marvel at this God. And then fifthly and finally, when should I praise the Lord? When should I praise the Lord? You know what the answer is? Always. <laughs> Always. But maybe you're going to ask the question, How? How do I praise Him? I know, I know I'm supposed to do it always, but when? Look at verse 46. The Lord lives. This is that song we sang. The Lord lives, and blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. You know what he's saying? I exalt Him. I exalt Him. Secondly, I thank Him. Verses 47 and 48, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. I thank you for that. I exalt you 
You're to be exalted, and I thank you for vanquishing my foes. And then I praise you. Look at the first part of verse 49. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I want to praise you. I exalt you. I thank you. I praise you. And look at the end of verse 49. I sing to you. And I sing to your name. That's why we worship God in song. And then finally, I adore Him. I adore Him. Verse 50. Great salvation He brings to His King and shows steadfast love to His anointed. That's to David. To David and His offspring forever. I exalt Him. I thank Him. I praise Him. I sing to Him. I adore Him. My friends, how could we not ourselves do the very same thing? Let's do it now. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we went so quickly, but I suppose that means that for us, each individually, we can go into our own prayer closet as we have time and opportunity and read this psalm slowly and sing it back to you. Pray it back to you. Praise it back to you because these are your words by your servant inspired by your spirit. And to know, Heavenly Father, that David was writing this song because he had been delivered by you from the battle, even from the hand of Saul. If we think about it historically, 2 Samuel 22, we realize that this was a, a real man with real needs who was fighting a real battle and who at times was running for his life. And when he wasn't, he was a king who was trying to shepherd his people, those who were at times like sheep going astray. And I can imagine, Father, that he sang this song to you many times just to recalibrate his thoughts. He needed to see your character anew and afresh. He needed to see what his own responsibility was before you. He wanted to rehearse your very character. He wanted to see what you're really like in the crucible of terror and war. And he wanted to praise you and exalt you and sing to you and adore you and those things that we ought to do. Even though for most of us we're not at war, 
We're not having to run for our lives. But Father, we do have needs, great needs. Some of us are hurting physically. Some of us are hurting spiritually. Some even hurting materially and financially. Whatever it may be, Lord, and for whatever our hurts and our pains, we're like David. We cry out to you. Please allow our prayers to reach your ears. And once we see that you are thundering to meet us, breaking through the clouds, ready to attend to our prayers, we can say with David, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Might we pray to you even now, Father, as a congregation, through Jesus Christ, through the blood of His cross, and by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit, we gain access to You through His blood. And we are asking for grace to help in time of need. Lord, we're a, a congregation, a church that needs You. We need Your your blessing. We've come together and we need your unity and your providential care and all of these things that David has asked for. We need those now, Lord. Might you give it to us. We too want to be responsible before you. We want to have the kind of right character that David talks about with regard to himself and his people. And we want to be responsible before you. And we want you to answer our prayers. We pray that you would. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.